0: And Lord, I pray that over the next few minutes that we would get a fresh revelation of the love that you have for us, your heart towards us. But Lord, that we would be reminded that you are enough. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us really clearly. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's, uh, it's been an interesting week for me this week, and uh, as I was just sat down there enjoying our worship and, and praying, just reminded once again of how, how beautiful it is, as Josh reminded us, that we can gather and, and worship Jesus in this environment without any fear of, of, uh, of intrusion or, or having somebody come and and interrupt what we're trying to do because it's illegal or, we're so blessed. I, um I've had a message which has been pretty heavy on my heart now for quite a while, and and it was God's decision, I guess, this week, that this week was going to be the time I was going to share it, because I was all set to speak on uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it was such a struggle. I I just, sometimes when you prepare a message, it comes very easily. It's a lot of work, but it flows, and and it comes about quite easily, and other times it's just, it's a wrestle, and other times it just seems impossible. And over the years, I've, I've learned to, when it feels impossible, just to stop, to pray and ask Jesus, what, what is it that you're trying to say here? And, and then he really started speaking to me about something that I feel is very important to ask a question um, today. And actually, I saw a quote this morning that I want to read to you from, um, from Dr. John Piper that I think really sums up. The question I have for us this morning, and he said this in one of his books, God is the Gospel. He says, the critical question for our generation, for every generation, is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, if you could have heaven and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted... And no human conflict or natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with that heaven if Christ was not there? And I, I you know, when you when you uh, try and describe to somebody. Uh, a taste. Maybe you've gone and had a, a meal, or you've had a piece of cake, and you, you've tasted this. And you, you're trying so hard to communicate to somebody who has not tasted it what that taste is like. It's really difficult. One of the best ways you can you can actually experience vicariously somebody else's experience is by watching their face as they're tasting something. And and their response, and they maybe describe it, maybe badly, but you can see in their face what it's like to taste the thing that they're eating. We can appreciate their response, and maybe we actually even feel that we're, that we're missing out, that we want to we taste that. And the beauty of the Bible, as we approach the Bible and read some of the stories in the Bible, is we we have that ability to be able to see the response of men and women through the Bible history and even through our even more modern history, we can look and see what it's like when they say, taste and see that the Lord is good. We can see their response. We can see what they say. We can see what their experience is. And, and I read the Bible and I, and, I, and, I, and I look at different accounts, especially the Psalms. I've been spending a lot of time in the Psalms recently. And it's like watching David's response as he's tasting something that I desperately want to taste. I desperately want to experience what it is that these men and women and I read through history what what they seem to have tasted the experience they've had of God where it's like Jesus God is enough that's all they want in Daniel chapter 3, we, we, we have this account of where King Nebuchadnezzar is, is demanding that the nation bow down to an idol and, and three characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I can't say that without thinking of Sunday school. Um, it's kind of burned into my mind, the coloring the pictures and the, and the flannel graphs falling off. And, you know, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and they say no. And in, in, in Daniel 3 verse 17, it says this, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There's an interesting turn of phrase here. In in the first part of the passage, he's saying God is able to deliver us. And then he says he will deliver us. And then in verse 18, it's like they change their mind. But if not, if he decides not to, that's okay. It's like they, they have such a high regard of God that if God decides that the plan that they have in mind doesn't come about, that's all right. Because God is enough, he's, he's worth it. God is enough. That's a, there's this freedom in, in incredible adversity where they say Jesus is enough. God is enough. Regardless of what God decides to do, whether we get delivered or not, he is enough. And I, and I read that, and we can skip over these passages really easily, but I, I have to stop and go, they're tasting something. They have an intimacy and a knowledge That they know God in a way that I wonder, like John Piper is saying in his book, I wonder whether our generations actually experience and know God in that same way. That he's worth it. So I think maybe the question that I have for us this morning is, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? In Psalm 27, we read David is sharing his thoughts in the middle of terrible adversity. Once again, he says this in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. See, David is faced with adversity. You read the Psalms and first and Second Samuel into Chronicles, and you, you, you this incredible adversity that David is under tremendous pressure, and yet his first thing, his one thing, have I asked, not that God, you would release me from this pressure, that I just can get into church, that I can gaze upon the beauty, that he tasted something of God, that he was desperate to inquire and to get close to his Lord. First Samuel 30, verse 4 to 6. This is just me showing the responses of people through the scriptures of what they have tasted and, and asking and maybe just challenging us this morning have we, do we taste the same thing? First Samuel 30, verse 4. In this chapter, we read about how the Amalekites had come into the city and kidnapped all the women and the children, and David had come back, and there's this terrible, his wives and children had, had been kidnapped. And we pick it up in verse 4. It says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Have you been there? Have you been in a place where life just seems so difficult? Maybe you know Jesus and have known him for a long time this morning. Or maybe you're just exploring faith. Have you been in a place where you have cried so much that there is no more strength in you? And what's David's response as his men, his, his, his warriors, are starting to turn against him and criticize him. What's David's response? But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David had tasted something. It's like, all I need, I don't need this situation sorted out as much as I need just to get into the presence of God. Because I know if I can get close to him, That the joy and the peace and the closeness and the security will descend direct from the throne of God and be part of my life. That's what I need, because He is enough. Psalm forty-two and verse one, my favourite psalms says, "As the deer pants for flowing streams." This is David again. So pants my soul for You. Remember, David is a warrior king. He's not skipping around, playing the harp, and writing poetry, and just sitting in trees, and looking at... I mean, this guy is a hardened warrior. You don't mess with David. He can take you out with a rock, and has proved himself. So this isn't some kind of wispy, ethereal, elfin kind of... Oh, So this is a hardened warrior. And listen to his words. My soul... My, my so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. We've done a beautiful job in our Christian faith of taking scriptures and making them really nice. You know, we'll make tapestries and posters and mugs and t-shirts and tattoos out of them. As the deer pants for the water, what we've done is we've made, we've made it look like this. I have a picture. This is what we, what we see. Do we have that picture? of the, This is what we've made that scripture. But as the deer pants for the flowing streams, it's actually a picture of a dying deer desperate for a drink of water. David is saying, if I don't get more of God, I'm going to die here. I am so desperate to be in the presence of God because he is enough. I mean, you're all good Canadians. You've been Canadians way longer than I have. How many of you have seen a dying deer? Yeah, I I saw one within the first couple of months of being in the country after I hit it with my car. See, in Britain, you you only hit small stuff like hedgehogs, rabbits, you know, cats, maybe, on if you're lucky. Um, but you have to swerve a lot to get them. This is being videoed. Great. I just remembered. Joking. I don't like cats. But in, in Canada, you hit big stuff. And I remember we were driving in Manning Park, and we hit this deer. We clipped it. And, and my, my kids, were they were small. They were horrified. There's this deer thrashing around. I'm sorry, but I want to paint a picture. Thrashing around, and it didn't look like that. And I went and I looked at this thing in the middle of the road, and I'm, I'm like, "What do I do?" It's looking up at me. It can't move. I'm feeling horrible. I'm watching this deer. There's nothing picturesque. There's nothing beautiful. It's it's nature in all its raw glory. And then I became aware of somebody stood next to me, and I turned and looked at this big guy, you know, big big truck, no neck, one of those kind of guys. He, he looked at and he said, well, you're going to have to put it out of its misery. Oh, okay. I mean, other than running over it again, I had no idea how I was going to put this thing out of its misery. And so then he said, and I will never forget these words. He said to me, he said, look, he said, I'll kill it if I get to keep it. Welcome to Canada, Madden family. Yeah, thank you. So then, my kids' faces pressed up against the back glass of my van that was parked just further down the road witnessed this man break this deer's neck, scoop it up with, and then drag it along the road, throw it in the back of his truck. I'm still, I have, what is going on? We drove from Manning Park to Summerland, pretty much in total silence. Silently weeping. That was my experience of a dying deer. There was nothing pleasant about it. And David's explanation in Psalm 42 is saying, look, if I don't get God, if I don't get everything that God is about, then then I might as well not exist. My soul is longing to be close to God because in Him is life. In Psalm 63, verse 1, O oh God, you and my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's heart, Shadrach, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's heart was, God is enough. Is he enough? Is he enough for us? Habakkuk 3, verse 17, this is where we're grateful the scriptures appear on the, on the screen rather than you finding Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. O oh God, so, sorry, though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Listen, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He's enough. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. He says, you can take away everything that I have, and I will praise him. You can give me everything, and I will praise him. Because he is enough. He's my God. He's enough. Money or no money. He's enough. Food, no food. He's enough. Kids doing great or kids falling away and there just seems to be disaster. He's enough. I get God. If you're a Christian here this morning, you get God. You, there, how can we put conditions on that? You see, in, in Habakkuk, he's saying you take everything away and I will still worship him. And yet somehow I think what we have done in our Christian culture is we've not said you take everything away and I'll worship you. What we've said is you take anything away and I will stop worshiping you because he is not enough. Probably one of the most genius Men of the Bible, intellectually, certainly in Revelation, wrote three quarters of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. This man was at the height of his career, he was going places, Jesus literally knocks him over. And then he says this, he becomes a Christian and, and then says right at the end of his life, And we're going to be studying Philippians, um, we start a series in a few weeks time as we work through Philippians, but he says in Philippians 3 verse 7, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Just, let's just stop just, just there for a second. There is nothing in Paul's mind that compares to knowing Jesus Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I don't miss them. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, he looks at his life and he says, Anything that stops me getting closer to Jesus, I count as rubbish. I want to get rid of it because I just want more of him. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I maintain the resurrection from the dead. His cry of his heart is that he wants more of Jesus. This is a man who has lived his life. This man preaches, and then there's riots. Now that's a sermon. I've had complaining emails. You know, I've had people waiting for me outside in Eastern Europe. I've even had people throw hymn books at me. The pastor's dad, it was actually, that was awkward. I've, I've had that. I've never I, I want I want a riot to start after a preach one day. You know, you know that God is in it if there's a riot. That's Paul. He's seen people raised from the dead. He puts his handkerchief on sick people, they get healed. He gets stoned and he lives. And yet it's not enough for him. Have you noticed? I want to know him more. Well, oh, Paul. I want to know him like you knew him. And he's like, no, there's more. Taste and see that he is good. Is he enough for us? Or we placed conditions on our Christianity that if this and this is in place, then God really does love me. Or do we say, you know what, you can take all that away. He is enough. Just the sweet presence of spending a few moments with my Jesus quietly in his presence, enjoying him. That's enough. That's all I want. See, Paul is saying, I've tasted life, but he is better. What can I do to get more of Jesus? I long for him. I want more of him. Nothing compares. And like David, he's like, if I don't get him, I, I'm going to die. The philosopher Pascal said, all men seek happiness. We all long for the very thing that Jesus says, come and receive. Come, let's do life together. Yeah, but Jesus, I need these things. No, you don't. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else, everything else is just gravy. Gravy. C.S. Lewis, very famous passage, wrote this. He said, if we consider the unblemishing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, if we just stop and think about what Jesus says can be ours in him. you read through the first few chapters of Revelation, and you get this incredible image and picture of the throne of God with rainbows and lightning and and like a sea of crystal glass, 24 elders around the throne singing, holy, 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 hundreds of millions of angels looking towards God, that God's glory is the light of heaven. There's no shadows in heaven. His glory fills heaven. And he says to me, come, How is there anything in my life that I could stand before him and go, no, I would prefer that. That if we even scratch the surface of what we believe God is about, if we actually believe even a small amount of what we say, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that everything starts and finishes, like like Josh read, that everything is for him and through him. If we even believe that he is as powerful as we say that he is, and he tells me, come, believe in my son, believe that he died for you, And I shrug, maybe tomorrow. It's like Jesus, just sitting in his presence. And I know who I am. And you know who you are. And he still says, come. You have access. Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life. You want to know what life is about? Let's spend some time together. Let's get rid of the separation that is there through your sin. Jesus died on the cross so that my sin could be forgiven. So I could have atonement with God. And I can come and he will show me the paths of life. He says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy. This last week has been so sweet for me. In the midst of two or three weeks where our family has gone through probably the hardest challenges that we've ever faced. This last week, sitting in the presence of Jesus and just saying, Lord, I, I want to know you. I've, I've tasted that fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you not think that we're too easily pleased, like C.S. Lewis says? That somehow we've placed our hope and faith in things that will ultimately fail us. Where God is saying, Come, come taste and see. Once you get the smallest experience of what it's like to sit in the presence of God, nothing will ever compare. Maybe we've become satisfied with standing at a distance from God, saying, Well, when he does this, then I will come. Just scriptures like when Jesus says at the end, and I'm paraphrasing, that people will say, "Lord, Lord, we prophesied in Your name, and we did all these miracles in Your name." Does it not terrify you that Jesus says, "I, I didn't know you"? That we can come and be accepted and welcomed, that we can come join the dance? When did we become so content with so little? I want to be careful how I say this. But if we, Willow One, you would all come to Willow One tomorrow night. If we truly believed what God said about Himself, added to The true belief of the invite that he has for us, that come and taste the fullness of joy. Do you not think we would be tripping over ourselves to get into the temple, like David said, so that we can just gaze upon the beauty of God? We place so many things before him. What do people who come to church really want to see? In Psalm 27, the scripture I started off with, and this isn't on the screen, but let me read you, um, sorry, in Psalm 34, I was reading this this week. L- listen to one of the, the benefits of just seeking out the Lord. Verse 4 in Psalm 34 says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. That blows my mind that God would actually have time for me. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears Listen, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. You can't buy that at the pharmacy. The radiance... See, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus was the radiance of the glory of God. And and so David is saying, if I can just be in the presence of God for a few minutes, then He is going to shine out of me. And then there's this really intriguing scripture in Zechariah where it says, the days will come when the people of God will be such where other people around them will grab them by the arm and say this, take me with you because God is with you see, people come to church because it's not, and it's wonderful, all oh, this is great, I love it because this is just a, a way of us focusing upon Jesus, but they want to see and be experienced, they want to be alongside people who truly know God. They want to grab hold of the arm and say, you've, you've got something that I haven't got. And that comes from the simplicity of you and me as Christians, putting time aside daily to sit in the presence of God and just cry out that I might know you more. He makes it so simple. That we would be radiant. We'd be Unashamed. Glenn, this is sounds good for you. You're very enthusiastic. I, you know, I I, I get that. It's, you know, you. I, I just I'm just not there. You know, when I pray, it, it just feels like my prayers aren't even getting to the ceiling. They're, I can barely get them out of my mouth. And do you know what God says to you? Just come and don't need to say anything. Just come. Open yourself up to the possibility that God is is strong enough and big enough and loving enough and caring enough that it's not like he needs us. This, This isn't a needy God desperate for our attention. It's just that he gains so much pleasure and glory when his people turn to him as their only strength. Do you do that? In James chapter 5 and verse 17, there's a really encouraging scripture again. I'll just read this to you. It says, Elijah was a man like, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Do you know what I love about that scripture? Elijah, Elijah, who prayed and the rain stopped, this, this man who had an incredible sense of the presence of God, this scripture tells me in James 5, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I could argue theologically that actually we have more than Elijah because now we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Jesus said, greater things will you do. And so I could actually argue that as much as Elijah saw happen, we can see happen. And yet the Bible tells me, and it's an encouragement to me, he ain't anything special. In fact, there's accounts in the Bible where we can see where he fails and he struggles, and and so do I, and so do you. And Jesus says, look, it's about knowing him, the one who is able. Come, is he enough? A few weeks ago, I had the... The joy of going to a conference in Vancouver and one of the speakers challenged us. There was a pastor's conference and and he said this is if if he was able to see a transcript of our prayers over the last week? I mean, first of all, he, he said, you know, how long would it be? A little post it note maybe, I don't know. What would be the remember what David said, one thing I ask for that I can be in the presence of God? What would be the one thing that comes up constantly? Friends, is it, Jesus, that I might know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, that I could just get into your presence, if I could just have more of you, if I could just sense that joy, maybe just thank him for his presence. Would that be the overriding, the one thing I ask, the one thing that I praise him, that he is enough? I've been challenged by this by the last few weeks, because as I, I am a natural fixer, even if I can't fix stuff, I'll give it a really good go, because somewhere along the line, I believe the lie that I was actually able to do it, and so things fall apart, and stuff happens in ministry, or in family, or, or you know, these things come along, and, you know, I, 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 right, I can do this. And all the way along, I've been constantly reminded until eventually I actually submitted to the, the godly idea that, Glenn, you, you, you can't do this. In fact, you're rubbish at it. I'm enough. I'm enough. Let's just leave it to me. As I finish, there's this Challenge, I think, in the first verse of chapter 27 of the Psalms, which we read at the beginning, the one thing that I asked, Psalm. And David says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? A stronghold was something that you'd run to when the enemy comes. And this is what grabbed me and convicted me. Because God said this, you know, remember my sermon from a couple of weeks ago where God removes the furniture that we brought into the Holy of Holies, those externals that don't belong into the center of our lives. He removes, the next question he had for me was this, Glenn, what do you run to? What do you run to? What are the strongholds of your life? Is it your family? Is it your bank account? Is it your, is it your job? Is it your ministry? What are the strongholds that I'm relying on, believing that they will save me, that they, they will forgive me, that I will find the presence of God? i got good intentions. I want those good things. And yet he says this, you are my stronghold. Do we run to God? If you're not a Christian here this morning, what is it in your life that you are expecting somehow will forgive you and release you from the shame and the guilt that maybe you're experiencing? What is it that you're relying on? Because I can tell you, many, many people have gone before you and have found that it fails. Where God says, you make me the stronghold, I'll call to you, you submit to me, and I become the stronghold. And like, what do you do to people like Habakkuk and Paul and David They're so free. doesn't matter what life does to them. You know, Paul, you kill him, all right, I get to see Jesus. You let me live, I'll tell more people about Jesus. We'll throw you in prison. I've heard that the acoustics are really good there for singing hymns. Okay. I'll sing loud and I'll see the prison guard become Christians. What do you do to somebody when they have made Jesus their stronghold? Nothing. Does that mean life is always easy? Well, you can see, no, that's not the case. But God is always, always there. So I have a couple of challenges before we pray for you to think about. I want this stuff to kind of keep us awake at night. But I wonder whether we can put our prayer list, our transcripts to one side this week. And just for a week, maybe make it your one item. Jesus, I want to know you more. Reveal yourself to me. I want to be in your presence. I want to gaze into your beauty. Maybe you read some Psalms and you look at what men and have gone before us, have tasted, and you get that. Lord, I want that. Come to Willow One Prayer. Let's make that our prayer tomorrow night. Father, I just pray. And I love you so much. And Lord, I thank you that despite my past, the things that I struggle with, I thank you, Jesus, that for there's forgiveness in you, that I stand righteous before you. Lord, we want to know you more. It seems so easy to pray, but Lord, I pray that you would, you would sense the desire of our heart in this room. Holy Spirit, I just invite you. You're already here, but move us. That the one thing that we would ask right now, before we leave this church, Lord, that we would be able to taste your joy and your goodness. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would, you would show and reveal to us anything that is standing in the way that, that we need conviction from or that to, Lord, to, to, to ask for forgiveness and repent. That Lord, that we would stand boldly on that sea of crystal glass before your throne and respond to your beautiful invitation. Come. Jesus. You know sometimes it's it's powerful to position ourselves in such a way of submission before our king and the wrestle that we have inside is... It's just the enemy trying to keep us from the very thing that as Christians we have every right to receive. So I want to invite you now just to to open yourselves up. To submit to King Jesus. And to echo the prayer of the generations to say, God, that we might know you more. And I want to ask you to physically put yourself in a position of that submission. It's not something we do often as a church, but let's kneel before our king. Jesus, we want more of you. Holy Spirit, come. We love you, Lord.